Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 15th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com and on Instagram. Talking Mets, no G. And of course, I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fanside Podcasting Network and our friends over at RisingApple.com. Well, I hope you all have gotten over your Carlos Correa cold shower. Am I allowed to say that? Is that going to get me in trouble? Anyway, we're off to a roaring start. If you haven't read the headline of the of the program and gotten angry, and now I... Maybe, you know, this is a family program. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Well, you know, anybody can take a cold shower when they're, you know, coming from running. I didn't mean it any other way. But uh, if, you ha- if, you're, if you're not over your Carlos Correa cold shower, there, were, there was more news. Scott Boris putting his two cents in about the Carlos Correa negotiations. Everybody's all up in arms, as I expected, post-Correa. The Mets need to make a move. They need a power bet. They need this. They need that. They need a big trade. They need this. They need that. And then we got people freaking out about the fourth outfielder because Trey Mancini signed in Chicago. And, uh, you know, uh, come on. We're serious here. Uh, Pete Alonso, temporarily until Vladimir Guerrero tied him, earns a record arbitration case. We're going to talk about Pete. I think Pete is a big part of this offense, even more so now that Correa is not part of it. And if you really want a big idea, I got one for you. And it's in the headline, so you probably already know where I'm going. You're probably going to get mad at me. I'm probably going to get a hate mail. And you know what? I'm going to try to handle this as well as I can because it's a guy and a topic that we've talked about before here on this show. And uh, we'll leave it at that. So you guys know who it is, but let me set this thing up. So uh, let's set up with Carlos Correa. So Scott Boris comes out today, and if it's not bad enough that we spent four shows on this guy, he's never going to play a game for the Mets. He's never going to have an at-bat. Terrence Gore is going to have more hits than Carlos Correa in Mets history. We have one more cherry on top of the Carlos Correa situation to talk about. And I'll tell you this. Look, it is very apparent to me, and I I intimated about this last week on the show, that I think Cohen was in Hawaii. I think Boris texted him. He looped in Billy Epler. Everybody was feeling pretty good because they were about to steal a player that they thought was gone. Conceptually, the contract looked good with an AAV of about $26 million. Everything is good, and then uh, 24 to 48 hours later, the sobering aspect of this contract, the competitive balance tax, how hefty it was, 
They got a chance to see why the Giants were concerned with the doctor's analysis on the ankle. I don't know who the initial doctor was, but I do know of a name of one of the doctors the Mets employed out of the four they claim, and it's a big-time name. So if he didn't like the ankle, I think I feel comfortable with that. I don't know. I don't know any more than that. I'm not going to pretend to know more than that. By the way, it's this guy's personal medical information, so how much we do know or don't know is always up in the air. I know that's hard to believe in sports where we know about every you know, nick up that these guys have, a little ache and pain and everything. We really don't. We think we do. There's a lot that gets hidden. But anyway, so Boris comes out and basically outlines a contract that I got to be honest with you. If this is true, I think the Mets blew it. And the only thing I could think about why they backed away from this deal has to be because they looked at the tax and then they looked at the impact this would have on roster building. And potentially Epler said, hey, Steve, if we do this and this guy doesn't come through, there's no Otani, there's no Machado. Well, you don't need Machado if you have Correa, but there's no Otani. And who the heck knows what we're going to do with Pete Alonso? We got Jeff McNeil. You know, there's a lot of ramifications to this deal. We need to be right. I don't really feel this fits the plan, and they had an easy way of backing out. So they basically tied up Correa and Boris with their lawyers. You know, what better way to destroy something good than to get a room of lawyers in there? All due respect to those in the audience that are lawyers. Nothing against you. It's your job, and God bless you for doing it. It ain't easy, but put a bunch of you guys in the room, and nothing really good comes out of it in a situation like this. Uh, you know, boy, am I going to get in a lot of trouble for this show today. I mean, with this, well, how, what better way to get the new year off by getting a little hot water here and there? Um, I mean, but, you know, if you're going to go out, and like I said in the emergency show earlier in the week and put out $158 million guaranteed with the Minnesota Twins right behind you, a team that he played for, that he could play shortstop, that's willing to blow you out of the water with that guarantee. I mean, think about it. You just basically lowered yourself to the small market, mid-market, whatever you want to call them, Minnesota Twins, you're not going to get the player. And Boris offered contracts, it appears, that would protect the Mets. If his right ankle caused him to miss you know, 60 days, they could uh, reduce the contract. If he spent more than 120 days on the injured list over a two-year period, they could void the contract. If he finished the season on the injured list, the Mets would have the right to give him a physical to determine if they wanted to part ways. Now, remember what that means in terms of ankle. Now, I think there was one point I saw some reports that the Mets were wondering, well, if it's the ankle that's causing him to compromise other parts of his body because he's hurting and then he gets hurt somewhere else on his body, that really doesn't count. And it's hard to prove. See, that's the part where this is really you got to give the Mets you know, some, some play here and you have to read between the lines. It, ha- it probably had to be directly related to an ankle. Not the ankle was throbbing and making him tired and he was laboring, and then his back started to go. I mean, remember, the body, you know, it's the old, the neck bone is connected to this bone and that bone, and, you know, the old goofy song that you learned in, what, kindergarten? That plays. I mean, everything's connected in your body. Anytime you go to a doctor or a chiropractor, I have, they teach you everything is connected, everything, and that's, that's mechanics in sports. Good mechanics has everything flowing. Bad mechanics has everything not in sync. So, I don't really want to belabor this point, but personally, I don't think the Mets really wanted Correa after they bought. It's like you went to the store, you felt good, you splurged, you went home, and then you started to think about your finances. Like, hmm, I don't know. That wasn't such a good idea. It was Christmas. Cohen's in Hawaii. The wife is happy. Cohen's happy. 
Now, I'm speculating, but based on we know, what we know about the Mets team, which was short-term contracts, really outside of Lindor, I mean, Nimmo now has a long-term contract, uh, short-term contracts, high AAV, let's get the farm system going. Uh, Correa was adding to some risk there now that you have a long-term deal with Lindor, you have a long-term deal with Nimmo. No, Nimmo's deal is risky. I mean, he's got herniated dicks, discs in his neck. I mean, that's a risky deal. See, that's the thing that kind of drives me a little nuts here. Is that it's not like the Mets haven't taken risky deals. Maybe Lindor, you could say, is a little less. Any deal. Look at Cano. I know that's the easy one. Look at Pujols, if you want. Look at Josh Hamilton. For different reasons, that was a risk. Any kind of long-term deal comes at risk. When Cano signed the deal with Seattle, there was no way I thought going 10 years. I mean, I, I said that about Lindor a few years ago. I've always been against... 10, 12-year deals. You want to kind of keep the hitters at five, the pitchers at three. Obviously, I'm a guy that never would sign anybody then, or I'm a guy that in those scenarios would have to pay a very, very high AAV, and then you get into the competitive balance tax, and you can't build a team, and so on and so forth. But all these long-term deals look bad at the end. Either the player is a part-time player, shell of their former self, maybe they could produce like Pujols did in in a somewhat of a component way, or they can't play like Cano. Or they're just flat out bad, and you got to live with it, and you got to you got to sunk costs. You know, David Wright, whatever. And that wasn't as long of a deal, David Wright. It wasn't ten, twelve years. It was I think seven or eight years, David Wright. So things change a lot in five years. Never mind ten. Never mind twelve. So we're gonna put this all to bed. But I will say this: this has had a reverberating effect throughout the Mets community, and more with the fan base than with the media. I think John Heyman and Sherman and all these guys have really you know, normally have their knives out and love roasting the Mets, were pretty practical and said, look, this was a risk. Yes, because of the fact that they didn't sign Correa, the offense now has some variability. Doesn't mean it's a bad offense. It has some variability, and it brings to the forefront some of their young players, like Beatty, like Alvarez, and you need, one, you need them to hit in some capacity and develop possibly at the big league level. But nobody said the Mets aren't a World Series contender. Now, the fans, they're different. The fans got jacked and juiced, and they went out, and they ran out and bought season tickets and got really happy. And we saw record downloads listening to podcasts and the holidays and Christmas and New Year. It's like, you know, it's the best time to be a baseball fan because it's all about feel, and there's no results, so it doesn't matter. There's not like you could get the, the cold water or the cold shower of results on the field. Everything is... You know, spring hope's eternal. Sometimes the off-season hope is eternal because it's all out there. And now it's gone. And now, you know, it's settled into that part of the off-season post-New Year. The musical chairs are running out. Some of the, you know, guys are going to need minor league deals. Component players may have to come in and say, hey, I have to earn a roster spot, but I'll probably get a major league deal or a split contract. Then there are guys that probably thought they were going to get a better deal or a starting job, and they say, well... Let me sign a one-year deal. Maybe I'll go play for a contender like the Mets, and away you go. Look, guys like Trey Mancini, they're going to want to play every day. They're not going to want to come to the Mets, and that's where the Mets are right now. The Mets are looking for some outfield depth, maybe some bullpen arms. You know, Zach Britton's name has come out there. Basically, at this point, you want to go depth and maybe beef up the bullpen. I think that's where they're going to go. There's no big trade. I've seen people float around, and I I know this is fan talk. I see fan talk. Oh, the Mets got to go out and make a big deal. Why? Nobody knows. Well, because they didn't get Carlos Correa. Okay. You know, 
on December 20th, like I said on the last show, you weren't even thinking Carlos Correa was even on the radar. You were fine with Eduardo Escobar, who had a nice uh, clutch down the stretch performance. You know, he reminds me a lot, like I said, of Scott Brocious of those 98 Yankees. Speaking of the Yankees, the 98 Yankees, they didn't have a start every position. But it's the Yankees, when they started to go start every position, that's when they got in trouble. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't go that route, the Mets. The more, the more you take away variability, the better. But you want to have the right stars. And apparently, they didn't think this was the right star. Now, I personally, if, I, if what Boris said is true, and the truth always lies in between, I would have signed the guy. 100% signed the guy. Um, so, you know, you're going to get crazy about Trey Mancini signing with another club. I got news for you. Andrew McCutcheon's going back to Pittsburgh. These guys want to play four or 500 at-bats. They're not going to get that with the Mets. Would I have loved to see Andrew McCutcheon come off the bench with the Mets? Yes. Would I have loved maybe to see Trey Mancini? I didn't think he fit as long as you had Darren Ruff. I know you're rolling your eyes, but the Mets have committed to Ruff and Volgaback as this low-cost platoon DH to save a little cash. Let's put it that way. So, I mean, everybody's got to shave around the margins, especially when you're in that tax stratosphere like the Mets are. Now, where are they going to go? Here's how you look at what's left. You have Duval who will give you power, but has had wrist surgery. You know, wrist surgery, anybody's going to tell you. I don't know how healthy he is, but it's going to sap your power. It's going to make it a lot harder to hit. He may not be good for another year. He might need some time. You know, I, I think he got mid-season he got the surgery. So he might need a half a season to get healthy. We have no idea what version of Duval, who's basically, if he has no power, Duval, I know he's got a decent glove. If he has no power, then he's worthless. Because he's not a high-contact guy, at least from the numbers I see. Jerickson Prufar is a guy that could get on base, could walk a little bit, could play multiple positions, has a little bit of pop. Maybe that's an option. Again, a guy that played every day in San Diego. Does he want to come here? and play half the time? Well, maybe he plays more. Look at Jonathan VR and Kevin Pillar. They didn't think they were going to play much, and then there was injuries, and all of a sudden, VR's playing every day. So it could happen, but when you sign here, you're signing here thinking of realistic scenario. I'm only, only going to play a couple of times a week. Is that what they want? You know, so when you hear names like Tommy Fan and Chad Pinder, that's probably the kind of player you're going to get. Guys that, at this point in their careers, really unless they play for a really bad team that's desperate, they're not going to get an everyday job. So they'll probably come and play on the bench and want to play on a winner as they round out their careers and get paid a little bit more than what a normal bench player would, would get to play in New York. And I'll tell you what, the biggest thing, and when we get to Pete later, because he's a big part of this, you know, really right now, there's no big ideas out there. There's one I'm going to give you. It's not going to happen. But I think the Mets should really reconsider it. It's not going to happen. But outside of sitting back and saying, okay, I have my entire infield probably going to the WBC. Uh, tons of players going into the WBC. Spring training, you're going to be looking at these box scores, and there's going to be guys getting time. I, I wouldn't even worry about records and stuff. I know Buck has already said he's going to start – Drill sergeanting them on the new rules. That's why you got to love Buck. He's already he's already got this like he knows the, the pitfalls and the threats that this team has of complacency of the new rules of even the 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 sobering aspect of coming out of what they thought would be a dominant offense and losing Correa. He knows all that. He's prepared for that. But you're going to have Beatty and Alvarez and even Vientos square front and center showing off their uh, wares 
in spring training with a chance to win a job. To win a job flat out, maybe, you know, Beatty hits like crazy, and then all of a sudden Escobar becomes this, like, you know, DH slash around, you know, second base, third base. You know, he could become the veteran that's the uh, insurance when you hope that Beatty could continue to do it over the course of a season. You don't want to just hand a job to a, a kid without a veteran presence. Escobar is that guy. So maybe that happens. Alvarez, he's, you know, boasting I saw on Instagram or on social media. Hey, I could, you know, I'm going to be on the opening day roster. I'm going to hit, I'm ready to catch at the big league level this, you know, very experienced high-end staff. You know, I could hit home runs. Okay. Look, if the guy goes out there and could hit 35 home runs from the catcher's spot and you get that production when the platoon at the DH and he gives you good enough defense, Alvarez, whoa, all of a sudden you're not thinking about Correa. Because Escobar is not chopped liver. You know, I didn't really get into that during the Correa post-mortem on Monday or Tuesday, whatever day it was. Escobar's not chopped liver. He's a solid player. He's frustrating because he's streaky, and he's a better right-handed batter than left-handed. But, I mean, he got some really big hits down the stretch, and he has the right approach. You know, here's a guy that doesn't, uh, you know, lunge and launch type of deal. So you all got to calm down. You're driving me, like the fans really, this fan base will drive you freaking crazy. It's a fun fan base. It's a great fan base. Again, I wouldn't put them behind anybody else in the league. I mean, this fan base is as passionate as what you saw during those Red Sox droughts, those Cubs droughts, probably more. I think the Red Sox were real hardcore, that hardcore, hard scrabble New England you know, diehards, whether they're up all the way up in the Cape, all the way down to, like, Rhode Island. You know, they, they loved the Sox, and they lived and died with that curse. Cubs fans, same way, but I also think you had your, hey, let's go to Wrigleyville uh, and get drunk. Big portion of the fan base that really didn't care about the Billy Goat as much as some others. But that's me as an outsider saying that. I think this fan base truly is pained day in and day out. I mean, this is such a hardcore, blue-collar, hard-nosed, fan base that now has this influx of riches and possibilities. And, I mean, you're talking about Manny Machado. Why? He's not a real—Otani is—why? I see people write, well, the Mets could get Otani Machado. Calm down. You sound like a bunch of, uh, 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 you know, kids from the old boys' school finally getting into the girls' locker room. Oh, am I allowed to say that? That's number two, strike two. I mean, really, you act like that. You act like you've never seen, you know, the, the, the sun sometimes. Calm down. Enjoy what you have in front of you, which is a solid team, albeit one that's a little aged in areas, and there's plenty of question marks. And my big idea, I'll tell you when I get to it after the break, my big idea. My big idea might be more important than you think because – it involves pitching, and if you think this rotation is lights out, no issues, I got another thing coming for you because let's say the two big guys stay on a field a lot more than DeGrom and Scherzer did last year with Verlander Scherzer. Fine, you're good there, but they're also 40 years old. I don't have any idea what Senga's going to do. Carrasco, I gave you the numbers earlier in the offseason. Uh, what he does against teams above 500. And Quintana's a solid pitcher, better than maybe Taiwan Walker, but I don't know how much better. He's not an ace. You go three, four, five, there's no guarantee you're on a road trip 
like you were last year and you wanted to win that two out of three against Atlanta on that afternoon game and you needed someone to go out there and give you six innings, two, three runs, and Chris Bassett did it, you may not get that out of those three. I'm not convinced you will. Maybe Quintana. Maybe. So let's calm down. You're worried about the fourth outfield. There's more. There's plenty to worry about. New rules, WBC, complacency, injuries, depth. Ain't Manny Machado and Shohei Otani. Grow up. You know, I hate to be cranky, and I even said it on Twitter. I was cranky this morning that I was going to lecture the fan base, and I hate doing it because, you know, of course it hurts me with the Q rating. You know, you go out there, you see this. Like, I saw Matt Cerrone just tweeted it a little bit ago. There's like 5,200 Mets podcast out there. Fine. You could have a million. I do this show in a vacuum. I do it for me and how I would like the program to be because I think I'm like you. And if I'm happy, and I'm never happy because when I listen back, I always, I'm hard on myself. But if I'm happy and I think it's a good product, I'm pretty confident that you will because I'm not much different than you. I put my pants on one leg at a time. I listen to the Mets with one ear in two years or whatever. I watch it with my two eyes. I'm no better. I'm not like these guys. You know, here's the secret about guys in media, whether it's this independent media, media influencers, all the way up to the, you know places like the Fan, ESPN, New York Post, whatever. Some of them, they all act like they're confident and they're know-it-alls and they're above it all. They're the most insecure. Everybody's so insecure. Believe me, if I could tell you stories that would curl your hair. And big names insecure. Insecurity that needs serious therapy, I got to tell you. Because they got it made in a lot of ways. Especially in radio, you get any kind. I mean, Craig Carton's still on the air. No one in the industry would that be the case. So I'm going off on a tangent, but I was it's driving me nuts. Because there's always like this stupidity that goes on with this team. Now, it's January. It's nothing to talk about. Maybe you're not an NBA fan. Maybe you're not a. Maybe you're a Jets fan and you don't care about the Giants. And there is the NFL playoffs. Uh, you know, there's tons of entertainment options. I could give you like we could go on and do talking Mets movies and Netflix and Amazon Prime stuff. And we could say, hey, this is the things you can do to get a life <laughs> and stop worrying about the fourth outfielder. Listen to this show. Maybe we look. I got the polls. I threw the poll out there. You know, most of you want to hear my opinion. You're getting it. But, you know, maybe we need to maybe you need to stop listening to this show. Maybe we need no listen to the show, but maybe we need to do like a little, you know, from the vault or something to get your mind off of things. So I've got myself in a ton of trouble, but it ain't over yet because I'm going to get myself in a lot of hot water. When we come back, there is a big idea the Mets can do. If you're having the Carlos Correa hangover, there is a big idea the Mets can do. It comes with tons of off-the-field controversy. It comes with a totally non-PC component. But I'll tell you what, it only cost them $700 and what, $25,000? Very little onto the CBT, and it will make the Mets rotation that next level good, even though this player hasn't pitched in well over a year. So let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk about that and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. 
Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up and I've already made around two, three hundred dollars You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I want to talk about Bauer because, as you may recall, I told you that Trevor Bauer was going to be released, but it was being reported that seven days ago he got released. And I said, no. And you learned he got designated for assignment. Then you wait seven days. You figure out if you can trade the player. You put the player through waivers where every team has a chance to claim him. When that doesn't happen, he gets released. Well, seven days passed. And Trevor Bauer, the erstwhile quality pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds and Cleveland Guardians and Los Angeles Dodgers is now able to sign with any team for the minimum because the Dodgers are going to pay him his $22.5 million this year as the third and final year of his three-year contract. He's finished serving his suspension, 194 games, done, ready to go. He's not going to get paid for the first 50, but he's getting $22.5 million. That's all you need to know. But for the other 29 teams, give him seven hundred and twenty grand for the year. He's yours. You're beginning to see the trial balloons come out about teams deciding, should we sign Trevor? Should we not sign Trevor? Rumors are ready. Mets and Yankees are out in a market like New York. There is no chance, toilet pants, that Trevor Bauer is going to be signed. I don't care how bad the rotation is, how much they need a pitcher at any point during the season. Trevor Bauer will never be a Met or a Yankee. Trevor Bauer will never be a Giant. Trevor Bauer will never be a Dodger. I want you to go to different markets, think about where those markets are politically, and then realize that signing Trevor Bauer is a political issue. 
it's not just a PR issue. While you have to stand up and explain why you're signing him and no team wants to do that, as you get into the year, you could get away with less of a press conference because there are media availabilities during the course of a season. So if you're trying to get a player signed on your team who's got some behavioral problems, got some issues, it's pretty simple what you do. You sign him during the season, and then there's a scrum of reporters at the ballpark, and you just have the reporters meet the manager. The manager gets to explain it. When it's off season, you can't have the manager do it. It's got to be the president or the owner. But on season, hey, I'll let the manager say, yeah, you know, we're just going to bring him in this clubhouse and give him a chance. And he's going to come in here and we are convinced that his behavior will have changed and he will respect me as a manager, respect his teammates. And at the end of the day, we want to win games and bring a World Series to you, our great fans. Well, you guys heard the clip. You guys saw the name in the intro. But uh, one of the big ideas, and really what would be far more controversial than any kind of like financial ramifications that Carlos Correa could have brought to the Mets is, and it was made clear by John Heyman, and it looks like this guy probably will have to go, I think one executive said he's going to have to go play on the moon, but probably overseas, Trevor Bauer. So we're back to this nonsense it was just a couple of years ago. The Mets had DeGrom. We didn't have any inkling of DeGrom being unhappy or opt-outs or him leaving. But the Mets were looking to pair, when Steve Cohen became the owner, a couple of aces at the top of the rotation. This is way before anybody thought Max Scherzer was a, an option or Justin Verlander. But the plan was to put DeGrom with Bauer. And Bauer was coming off a of Cy Young, albeit in that goofy pandemic 60-game season. But his numbers were awesome. And, you know, I had read the book, The MVP Machine, and Bauer has been at the forefront of Rapsodo and, and, and Spin Rate and all sorts of stuff that has helped him evolve into a better pitcher than ever. I mean, even going all the way back to college, he was criticized because of his methods, some of which are now mainstream, um, you know, because he wasn't complying with, I guess, the program or the college program's workouts or, or ways of going about things. And look, if we go back and we really dive into it, Bauer was probably right. I mean, baseball has always been a behind a, a sport that's behind, a sport that doesn't like people coloring out of side of the lines. I'll tell you what a minor leaguer told me even one time. Baseball doesn't even like players to be too smart. And what do I mean by that? I had a minor leaguer that I had a relationship with that I had talked to a little bit. And he was a smart guy, guy who wanted to get into business and had ideas. And they actually, and he was in the Mets organization, they actually held it against him because they felt that he wasn't serious about the game. Now, here's a guy that's trying to be a well-rounded individual. And, you know, all he was trying to do is prepare for the fact that there's a low percentage chance that I'm actually going to make anything out of this thing called professional baseball. And I need to do some other stuff after I get thrown away, like yesterday's news. And they didn't like it. So remember what you're dealing with with the institution here. Enough about that. Look. Trevor Bauer winds up signing with the Dodgers. Mets were outbid. It was a we- it was kind of like in a way somewhat like Correa because there was that leaked like Mets hat on his merchandise site that he put out there and everyone thought he would be a Met. And I think Bob Nightingale got it wrong at that point. Very similar how everybody thought that Correa was to the Mets. Different because Correa was had agreed to a, in principle 
to a deal with the Mets. But Bauer was like this weird thing. And then he's a Met. He's not a Met. He's a Dodger. Dodgers outbid him, and away you go. And he was pitching very well for the Dodgers when all this stuff comes down about a relationship he had with a woman. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, the woman claimed that he battered her. He claimed that they were having a rough relationship. You could, you know, this is a family program, so I'm trying to be respectful here. The district attorney out in L.A. didn't find any reason to press charges against Bauer. Of course, Major League Baseball did their investigation and suspended him for like 300-something games, a crazy amount of time, uh, more so than any other domestic violence infraction. Now, let's remember, and I'm going to start by saying this. By no means am I dismissing anything that Bauer did. I'm not defending him. I think he is a stupid, stupid, stupid individual, a guy that had everything at his fingertips, big contract, big-time team, and for him to get involved in a relationship like that, risking knowing in this day and time as a professional athlete, as anybody, how that kind of stuff could, could take your life and turn it upside down is just mind-boggling. That's the old adage, think with the right head. That's really going to get me in trouble. But that's – I'm serious. Like, you know, earmuffs if you have kids in a car. That's it. Think with your head, the right head. Seriously. I hate to say this, but there's no other way I could put it. And I'm not saying the woman's wrong, but if the guy committed a crime, then I'm saying, hey, why are we, you know, even letting him back in the game? But now he's, you know, the, the he's back. He's been released. And I'm sorry. Look back and do some research on the whole A-Rod lawsuit and how they hired a fixer like Ray Donovan. Major League Baseball hired a fixer like Ray Donovan to go after the go after A-Rod. The corruption, you know, there's a book actually about the corruption with uh, international signings. I did a show about it. I'm drawing a blank on what that uh, book is right now. The author is Jason Browning, a lawyer that I had a, a friendship with. Uh, you know, and uh, it, it involved the, the, how the Yankees, particularly how corrupt they were in signing players out of uh, international situations. Ba- Major League Baseball is not a moral high ground orga- uh, organization. And I'm sorry, their investigation being above and beyond the district attorney's office of Los Angeles doesn't necessarily pass the smell test for me. What resources are they going to put in that the district attorney didn't put in? Now, I understand what you're going to argue. You know, law is not about necessarily the truth. It's about uh, beyond a reasonable doubt and things like that. But, you know, if there is enough there that says I can't prosecute, especially during a time where this was a politically charged time where a guy like Bauer and the type of domestic issue he had and him being an athlete was right there for that to be an all-star case for a district attorney. Remember, they want to make a name for themselves. They want to be reelected. They want to move up the chain. Yes, you hope that they do good work in the interim to keep us safe, but let's be honest, it doesn't matter what political affiliation you're with. That's what the game is. You want to put your head in the sand? So be it. So what I'm saying here is if, if the district attorney's office of Los Angeles says the guy is innocent, then, you know, we sh- well, who are we to, to judge any further? We had a guy who electrocuted dogs. Helpless animals, savagery, 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 if you ask me, who nobody had a problem when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles and he was on their fantasy team and he was helping the Eagles win. Nobody had a problem with that. I got a list here in front of me of players that have also been suspended for domestic violence. One of them was, you know, Jose Reyes, right? 
I know some people are unhappy when he came back, but I didn't see anybody complain when he helped them get to the postseason in 2016. Jury's familiar. There's a guy that, you know, the Mets fans uh, didn't seem to hold against that whole thing. Julio Urias of the Dodgers, recently, back in 2019. If he was a free agent, you probably would sign him. Domingo Herman and the Yankees. I don't see the Yankees getting scorched for him coming back. The only guys that seem to have really, uh, before I go on, Aroldis Chapman. Not only did he get suspended for 30 games, the Yankees brought him back. He was with the Yankees. They they traded him to the Cubs and got a nice little haul with Gleyber Torres and then re-signed him. And if they had won a World Series in 2019 with Chapman on the mound after he won a World Series with the Cubs and broke the curse, nobody in Chicago is throwing that back. Nobody would complain. So what I'm trying to say here is I'm not excusing Bauer. I'm not defending Bauer. And I'm not even saying Bauer is the kind of guy that I like personally. But I don't know everybody in that clubhouse. And I don't know who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. I just got to assess people by who they are in the field. I also am a big proponent of us as a society trying to look and find ways to forgive. We were able to forgive Michael Vick. You know, Steve Phillips, different situation. He's now on MLB Network Radio. He'll be the first to admit his transgressions. All sorts of different transgressions. And I feel like everybody has a right to work, and we have a right to punish them, and they have a right to serve their 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 transgressions, whatever way that looks in the terms of the law. But to be scarlet-lettered forever, that to me is not who we're supposed to be as society. And that's not compassion because the people that actually go out in sports and the pious people in the media that act like they're so above and they have the, they have the right moral high ground, they're the least compassionate people I've ever met. And I've met some of them. They, if I was on fire and they could get a story, they, would, they wouldn't even you-know-what on me as they walk by. That ain't compassion. So I don't want to hear any of that stuff. I'm not defending it. And I can understand, believe me, male, female, husband, wife, if it, it's going to be hard for you because of what he did, just like it would have been hard for me to root for Michael Vick as an, a devout animal lover if he was on my team. Luckily, I'm not a, a football fan, but I'll tell you personally, and you're going to laugh, I wouldn't put him on my fantasy football team. Not that that matters in the scheme of things. But even if he was a free agent and I needed a quarterback, I had said at that point I won't put him on my team. That was my personal opinion. That doesn't mean it was right. And I understand if a Steve Cohen and Alex Cohen say, this is not the kind of guy we want to do business with. What I am saying is he's out there and he can help Steve Cohen achieve the goal that he wants to achieve. And maybe just like I might have been a little short-sighted with Vic where maybe I needed to be more compassionate Again, I'm not trying to compare here. I didn't have any – Vic could be on – it doesn't matter. But that mindset I'm talking about, maybe there's a different way of looking at things. Maybe you could sit down and talk to the guy. Get to understand where he's at in his rehabilitation as a person because he clearly needs help with his judgment and understanding what a relationship is all about. And believe me, not, this, not absolving him, read up on the person he was with. No saint over there. No saying over there. But no excuse for Bauer to make a really stupid, stupid decision and, 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 and do something that is so off-putting and so not, not necessary in our society. You know, 
it's like everything bad about relationships in our society. So what I'm saying is this. Let's put that aside. You're worried about the clubhouse? There's not a team in baseball that has a better manager that could incorporate someone like Bauer and a better clubhouse than this Mets team. See, the Dodgers wanted him out, but I think, you know, we keep hearing about the Mets clubhouse being so good. Mets clubhouse is good because you have foundational people that make it good. And I've and I've spoken this offseason about how it's dangerous to say, you know, as they make changes and bring guys in that it'll continue to be that way. But I think they still have enough people on this team to make it good. And if Bauer could plead his case with some of those influential veterans and they could bring him in and can contain him um, or teach him a new way or teach him a different mindset as he tries to rehabilitate his baseball career, I don't see how he would disrupt the clubhouse. And by the way, he's on a short leash. Any kind of antics, it's a 700,000-plus mistake. You throw him out. Now, on the field, look at how he'd fit into the, the, the team. Here's a guy that before he got suspended in 2021 was 8-5 and five with a 2.59 ERA, an ERA plus of 160. He has elevated his game since 2018 to be in the Pantheon. You know, he was, gonna, he was on path to be one of the top five pitchers in baseball. You already have top two almost. You know, if two of the top three in Scherzer and Verlander, you could be adding a third. It takes all the pressure off of Senga and moves him down a spot. Because I think it's asking a lot for Senga to be a number three. You want to say Quintana's that guy? Well, Quintana's a guy that's profiled more as a four or five than a three, but he had really good numbers last year. Can he, you know, did he do that and get a contract? Can he sustain it? We don't know. Yes, you're saying, Mike, you're putting Bauer up the pecking order in the rotation. He not having pitched in a year and a half. I understand what you're going to say about that. But once he gets going, you have to think if he's healthy and his arm is healthy, maybe there's a little bit of rust, he's going to pitch at that level. And mark my words, if he goes to Korea or Japan or Mexico or wherever he's got to go to rehabilitate himself until everybody feels he deserves a second shot, just like some of the names I gave, because, you know, everybody likes to be selective with their ethics. He comes back, he'll pitch like that, and everybody will forget it. Or, worse yet, somebody's going to give up prospects at the deadline when he goes and signs with a crap team to bring him in to help them win a championship. And nobody will say boo, because for some reason he had paid his penance arbitrarily by some of the media masterminds out there. The the teams are all afraid of taking on Bauer because of the media. It's all that is. I I mean... After all the names I've given you, Steve Howe, if you want to go back to the 80s. I mean, that was drugs. That was personal destruction. I mean, think about the DUIs that have happened with managers. Bobby Cox. Do you know how despicable driving under the influence is? I mean, look, take away. It's hard to judge layers of bad in society. But to me, you get behind the wheel of the car and could hurt somebody, innocent people, and take away not only their capacity to earn, but the capacity to live take away fathers and mothers and husbands and wives selfishly because you had a drink? To me, that might be worse than anything that I read in the Trevor Bauer situation, and nobody talks about that. Bobby Cox is in the Hall of Fame. And he's not the only one. So before we get into the moral high ground here and say, I don't want him on this, this, and this, you have every right to say that. I gave you an example how foolishly, in a very amateur way, I didn't like a certain player in another sport. But... This guy could help the Mets. Now, it's not going to happen based on the reporting, but I think the Mets should rethink it. And if you are going to improve the team and, and 
live under that opportunistic mindset that Billy Epler talked about all the way at the beginning of the offseason, this is the kind of player that's opportunistic. This is the kind of player you can steal. And you do it for one year. And the minute it looks like it's going wacky off the field, you cut him. Now, there's risk because he could, you know, your feeling is he's risk. What if he has another bad uh, sexual encounter? You know, I think that's where you have to really have a conversation with him. Really have a conversation with him. And you have to think about how contrite he is. And that's a hard thing to do because there's no, there's no formula for that. So it's easy just to say, let's not touch him. And do the Mets need Bauer? No, they don't need Trevor Bauer. Their rotation's pretty good. But I'll tell you, the rotation could get thin really quick. Unless you believe in McGill and Peterson. You know, Senga is a 500 pitcher with a four and a half ERA. That's okay, but that's not Chris Bassett. You know, Carrasco, you know, goes into uh, Atlanta on the road like he did last year against 500 plus teams and doesn't pitch well. Well, there you go. And then, you know, I'm still not sure. I mean, my first reaction to Quintana was yuck. And then I looked at him like, okay, there's something more here. But think about first reaction. Sometimes they tell you exactly what you think of a player. So I wouldn't just discount the fact that you have a guy that was a Cy Young Award winner and was just signed two years ago to a mega deal, and the Dodgers had to work to compete to beat the Mets. And he was meant to be, you know, part of that excess as they were trying to win a championship. So I'm sorry. And look, I'll say this. I'm sorry if I offended any of you with this. That's not my intent. I'm not trying to minimize anything. I'm not trying to take away from your feelings on this. I'm not trying to say anything here other than I don't think we're in the business of judgment here. I think we're in the business of baseball and performance. And I do believe Trevor Bauer will pitch in this league again, maybe not in 2023. And I don't see why he has to go to Japan or Mexico or somewhere else to do it because the risk of him doing something stupid doesn't change for the rest of his life. Because once you have that kind of proclivity to these kind of things that he had proclivity to – you could argue it's always there. You got to get help. You got to go to therapy. You got to work on things. But, you know, it's in your history book. You have that, unfortunately, attached to you. And part of that, all of it, I think, is bad judgment on his part. I mean, there's a lot of bad judgment in baseball. There's a lot of bad things that go on. There's a lot of bad things these guys do. And none of it is excusable. But you want to, I mean, if I want to build a league with 800 of the best character guys, I don't know if I could give you the best product on the field. I just don't. I'm sorry. That's, that's, you're looking for utopia. That's simple as that. So, um, that's the big idea. That's something to think about. It's not going to happen. And you're probably, a majority of you are probably happy about it. Um, and I'm, and I'll, and I'll get the usual. I'm never going to listen to your show again. And you're a jerk. And I'm just telling you, you all want a big idea. You want something realistic that won't cost much in order to help improve the team in a big way. This could improve the team on the field in a big way. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And, you know, is his, the things that annoy you about Bauer is his personality, but some of his personality is what made him great in terms of pushing the envelope and pushing the establishment. And that's how he became a good pitcher. And now a lot of those things that he used – as training methods to improve, are now standard, like Rapsodo. Read the MVP machine, Travis Sochik. It's a great book. 
tells you everything to need to know about where the game has, has evolved and, and the evolution of a lot of this stuff. And it ain't too long ago. It's not within the last 10 years. We're living through history. So anyway, let's take a quick break. We have a, one more segment before we wrap up. Pete Alonzo, record arbitration numbers. And I got to tell you, he's a big part of the 2023 Mets. His evolution is a big part of the 2023 Mets. And maybe, just maybe, by not signing Correa, the Mets dodged a bullet by not being able to sign Pete because if he continues to evolve like many think he's evolving as a hitter, he's going to cost an awful lot of money because he's more than just a slugger when he came up. He was just a slugger. A lot of people thought he's becoming a lot more than that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. I got more compliments on on Pete Alonzo this year because uh, coaches from the other staff or players were like, we don't know how to pitch them because he'll take a, he'll take a, a single to right field. You know, with, with man on second and third or first and third. You know, he's not just trying to hit the three-run homer. He became a tougher out. And there is uh, Pete Alonzo getting that uh, a Mets franchise record and it runs batted in 128. Who said RBIs don't matter? Mm-hmm. Got the Mike Piazza back in 1999. Joel and I are both bothering the Mets back then. And the David Wright in 2008 as well with uh, a 1-2-4. Inside the studio of 42 you know, with Joel and uh, XI and Fran. What about the Pete Alonzo here? You know, obviously as a rookie at 50-plus home runs, and then he seemed like he kind of got out of sorts uh, last year, but he's back. Yeah, what you said precisely, RBIs do matter. And I want to show you why he's so good at doing what he does with runners in scoring position. Check out some of these swings here. He does a great job of being able to drive the ball to the opposite field. And as a hitter, when you have runners in scoring position, guys are going to try to find ways to bust you in. They're trying to get some of your worst swings and get you off balance. He's one of the best in all of baseball, staying balanced with runners in scoring position. There you go, going to the opposite field with base loaded there. Runner on third, facing Nola, fastball in the middle going to the opposite field with two outs being able to do a good job with runners on base and two out situations that's proven big to be in the middle of the order as well as now you're facing Lopez going the other way with that cut fastball being able to drive it he does a great job of staying inside the baseball and not trying to pull everything look at this situation here we see the shift is over he takes advantage of that early on in the game runners on first and third Fastball in the inner half, two out, two strike pitch. Not being afraid to let the ball get deep and drive it the other way. Now this is ultimately what opens up the inner half of the plate. When you get a hanging slider like that, because you do a great job of staying inside the baseball, driving it the other way, you now get that mistake and you don't miss it. You get the barrel out in front and you smash it. That's what we've seen him do all season long. And that's one of the biggest reasons why they're so good with the whole team is so good with runners in scoring position. They know how to take advantage of doing the little things. Not a big home run hitting team, but taking advantage of guys on base. They're one of the best in baseball. Listening to the program, Talking Mets podcast. So Pete Alonso gets, he doubles his salary, he gets $14.5 million in arbitration. You're staring down the barrel of him being a free agent in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, I know there's still going to be some people that go, well, if Brody only had put him down in the minor leagues for two weeks, they'd have the extra year. You don't play that. You know, and you're not going to see them hopefully play that with Alvarez and Beatty. I think it's so bad and so demoralizing for a club when a guy goes out in spring training, earns his position like Pete did in 2019 in the spring, let's say Alvarez or Beatty do that. I mean, let, let me tell you something. If you want a blueprint for Vientos, 
Beatty, Alvarez, or any young player that comes up for the foreseeable future with this organization who is touted, let's say, and has an opportunity to grab a position where it's right there for them, all they have to do is do what Pete Alonso did in spring training. Have a good spring. Not about process and, you know, you know uh, exit velocity and all these other secondary analytical numbers that say, well, this means he'll be pretty good. Well, he's got a great body and he's got five tools. Results. Show results. Go out there. Look at a goal in front of you. Grab it. Achieve it. I mean, that's as simple as what Pete did. I think that even back then, it was like some kind of like paper he wrote in college or something about becoming a major league baseball player. And, uh, you know, it's just that's who Pete Alonso is. He sees a goal. He goes out there. He grabs it. I mean, same thing with the home run derby. You know, he's he's had so many detractors. He kind of snuck up on us. Both Jeff McNeil and Pete did sneak up on us in the Mets organization because we weren't sure how good they were. The Mets were never touted as being good at developing players. That's been proven wrong because they've had some of the best wins above replacement value out of homegrown players across the uh, the, the the league in the last 10 years. And I remember, and I told this story before, I think it was uh, 2018, early 2018, up in the cold and snow in Binghamton, I see this one guy, Pete Alonso, hitting home runs with this goofy, like, flap thing going across his face. And Jeff McNeil, all of a sudden, coming out of nowhere, hitting home runs and hitting 350, 360. And a year later, they basically carried that 2019 Mets offensively. And now they're key parts of this team. And let me tell you, McNeil, Pete, Lindor, Marte, and Nimmo, those five guys, these guys all have to be who they are supposed to be. They are now at the point, all of them. Well, Marte has always been at that point. Let's take him out. But Alonzo, McNeil, Nimmo, the homegrown guys. Put Lindor and Marte because we know who they are. They've got a resume now. I think Lindor is adjusted to New York. But the three guys that have had some issues, either staying on the field or in the case of McNeil, getting too launch angle happy, or in the case of Pete during the pandemic season, you know, thinking that he was Dave Kingman, all have to be who they were last year. I'm not saying the numbers have to be exactly the same. I don't have to say you know they're going to have slumps. They're going to annoy you about something they do. But they have to be who they are if this offense is going to be the offense that we saw, which we know is not a bully offense, now with Correa not in it, but it's a solid offense that could put up crooked numbers and support a really good starting rotation and what looks to be potentially a dominant bullpen with multiple closers, just like they were last year. That's the way. And, and you heard Eric Chavez coming in talk about Pete Alonso. But throughout, and I really highly recommend you listen to the Boone podcast, not just for the Chavez interview, but a number of former uh, players. Chili Davis was on there, had a great interview, talked a lot about uh, Brandon Nimmo a while back and how he helped Brandon Nimmo hit left-handed pitching. There's a lot of good, hardcore baseball talk on there and some fun stories, too, about players and their careers. But um, the Mets just put, like Chavez says, the Mets put professional at bats. It's not about hitting a home run, per se, or driving the ball in the gap. It's putting together a good quality at-bat focusing on getting uh, uh, under the ball and hitting line drives. That's really what it comes down to. And at the end of the year, like Chavez said, if you do those simple things, you'd be surprised where your numbers end up. You'd be surprised how many runs you score. You'd be surprised what kind of team you are. And Pete Alonso kind of epitomizes all that because to hear Eric Chavez, and then you heard the guys over at the MLB Network right after that, back uh, a clip from September, right around the end of the season, talk about how Pete has evolved. I mean, if he's at a point where teams don't know how to pitch him, he's going to become even more dangerous. 
because the question we've always had about Pete Alonso long-term is who is he really going to be? Is he going to be a really good player like Paul Konerko? That was a name that was brought up all the time. And that's a very solid player, an all-star, a very good player. Not sure he's a Hall of Famer, but a very good player. Not an MVP, not a guy that will carry your team, but a guy that could be a big part of your team. Is he Paul Konerko? Or, more likely, the guy that you want to see him become and maybe who he's evolving into and maybe where now, where he sees free agency right in front of him and he sees a 10-year, $350 million deal maybe. Maybe something like what Aaron Judge got or something like uh, Correa originally got or, or something along those lines. With that in full sights, maybe he starts to take what he's learned. He's a hard worker. He's a guy that seems to have stayed focused and humbled, guy who, you know, hasn't changed, hasn't had the pressure cave in on him. And there is pressure. You're now you're not the underpaid guy that made all his money in the home run derby. You're making almost $15 million a year. And you got to perform for a contract. Can he become Paul Goldschmidt? Because Paul Goldschmidt versus Conurco, Paul Goldschmidt's an MVP. Paul Goldschmidt's a gold glove. Can he be a gold glove? Look, I'm not sure, but his defense never has bothered me. It's not like you had to bring Don Smith in all these years defensively for Pete. You did once in a while to give him a blow, but it wasn't necessary. I think Don was better than Pete Alonso defensively. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think the gap was wide like we all think. I mean, this is a guy, can he be in the top five in MVP? Can he win an MVP? Can he win an MVP? And all the signs on the process, if you hear what Chavez said, if you look at how he's improved, you know, to me, the biggest thing you can look at with 2022 versus 2019 is that he basically had around about the same type of numbers. A little less home runs, more RBIs, a few more hits, doubles were around the 27 to 30, walks were about the same, but he cut down his strikeouts significantly. He struck out his rookie year 183 times. He's cut it down to 128. He's cut down his strikeouts by over 50. Those are balls that are hit hard. Maybe they make good plays. Those are balls that get into play that may drop and dink and dunk and get hits. Look, they all look like line drives of the box score. And Pete Alonso is not going to be Jeff McNeil dinking and dunking around the field and playing pepper. But if he does a little bit of that, hey, you'll take it. They're hits. They're base runners. They're RBIs. They're runs. You know, I understand process, and I understand everybody likes to go to baseball savant, and they want to look at the exit velocity, and that's process versus outcome and all that. I get that. But at the end, hitting is hard, especially when you have guys throwing 100, 95 to 100, with 93-mile-an-hour sliders. Sometimes you just got to stick your bat out and hope for the best. Happens to Edward Diaz a lot when guys are up there. So, I mean, he's evolving. He was number, you know, he's down, you know, down ballot votes on the MVP, made the All-Star game. There's a guy who's won the Rookie of the Year. He's got to, you know, who is he going to be? Can he become more than Pete, the power-hitting first baseman with the great personality that wins the home run derby? Can he become the Mets version of Paul Konerko? Can he carry the team offensively? I mean, really, if you look at the Mets last year, they were at their best offensively when Lindor and Pete were hot. They really were. I think it was July into August, right after the All-Star break. They were, like, hot as a pistol. You know, Lindor had gotten over the fractured finger and started hit. And, uh, you know, those are the guys that are going to lead your offense. You know, everybody else is going to kind of go around that universe. 
can he be the Mets version of Strawberry? I know he's not as dynamic. He doesn't have that, you know, big, per- you know, he's got a big personality, a different type of personality. I think Strawberry transcended the sport. I'm not sure Pete can do what Strawberry did as an athlete in New York. You know, he doesn't have that, you know. But can he be the Mets Strawberry? If he sticks around here in any kind of capacity past the next couple of years, he's going to break the Mets home run record. Um, he may go down. I know he plays first base. That's debatable. But right now we talk about, and this is a guy that we'll talk about more as we get to a Hall of Fame show next week. There's a little teaser. But this is a guy that might become the best positional player in, in Mets history. Might become better than David Wright. I'm not, And that's not a, a hyperbole. He's on that track. You know, can he be a lot like David Wright, become more of a complete hitter? I mean, I'm not joking on that. I mean, he's he's good. These numbers are good. And I think this year is a big year for him because it'll show consistency. It'll show progression. It'll show that he deserves that $350 million deal. It'll show that he's more MVP than he is a really good player. And look, if he's a really good player, you keep him around. There's nothing wrong with that. I just think then you need to look at the lineup differently. I mean, the biggest concern I have for Pete Alonso going into the season is the protection there. You know, with Correa, there was potentially going to be protection. Now, you know, how do you build that lineup out? Is Vogelback really protection? Ruff, certainly not. And even with that, you know, he still had a big year. Because sometimes you look at guys behind him, and you got to think about who's behind him. And they batted him number two in, uh, in 19 a lot. Last year, they kind of moved him from four to three. I think he was, was kind of all over. Tell you the truth. I don't really, at this point, I don't pay attention to lineups because they're all over the place. You know, Escobar, not really all the time, you know, at various points in the season wasn't protection. So I think Pete Alonso is a really interesting case. And I think there's some, you know, listening to Chavez, starting to really peel the onion on his numbers. I think it's a really interesting uh, player to watch. And now he's going to the WBC. And I don't think you'd be surprised if Alonzo goes to the WBC and does something big for the United States. I don't think so. It'll be really interesting to see that. So anyway, all right, uh, let's take a quick break and wrap up your listening to Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Uh, Hopefully, you're still with me. I mean, look, this is all fun. If you really get, I mean, and I don't want to offend anybody, but if you got mad because I lectured the fan base a little bit at the beginning, and then I, uh, you know, suggested they take a look at rehabilitating Trevor Bauer, not the first, you know, sketchy personality to walk through the door in this, organization's history, Vince Coleman, guys like that. You think those guys were great guys when they walked through the door? You think, read a little bit about the worst team money can buy. And, you know, even a guy like Ryan Thompson, who I heard on another podcast about how hard it was to come in as a young player to a clubhouse where guys were kind of cranky, let's say, or maybe in a different mindset. You know, Eddie Murray, Hall of Famer, uh, heard great things with him player on player, but geez, in terms of a guy. Now, none of those people, I mean, what, what Coleman did was awful with the firecracker. I mean, come on. 
But, you know, Eddie Murray never did it with Trevor Bauer did, so I shouldn't compare, but geez. But And then you got Pete Alonso, and I think it's really interesting that, I mean, the evolution of Pete Alonso has been a fascinating story, and now it's coming to a head because he's going to get paid, and he's got to get paid. And the Mets have that money now that potentially they had earmarked for Correa. There was always a fear as they splurge on some of these free agents uh, now that when Alonzo and McNeil come up that maybe there'll be a problem there. And we saw a little bit of a problem in, with the Grom, and it wasn't because of money. But remember, after the Grom left, you know, sometimes looking at your backyard and, and what you have here in the bush, you know, one in the bush, we go back to that thing. You know, maybe that'll be on the bingo card, the talking about's bingo card in the future. Versus, uh, you know, one in the hand. I should say one in the hand, two in the bush. I got that wrong. See, you already got me all discombobulated here. I made, you know, inappropriate comments that, you know, bordered on family show, which I I always want this to be a family show. So I meant it in the most respectful way. And then I flub uh, an old saying. So there you go. But all right, what's next? Uh, Big week next week, our Hall of Fame show. Uh, I think Carlos Beltran will be a big topic of conversation. You know, talk about... Fake outrage with morality. That's this is the fake outrage morality time of the year. We're always told to be outraged about something as a society. We always are. You know, the media's always telling, be angry about this, be angry about that. No different in sports, especially in baseball, especially around Hall of Fame time. Drives me bananas, drives me crazy. Uh, I'll have my Hall of Fame ballot. But what I'm trying to do, I think, is 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 chat a little bit about it's getting harder and harder with the Hall of Fame ballot to get context. Because everybody's got such good numbers. It's like and I'm a big NBA fan, as you know. It's like three-pointers and scoring and assists and triple-doubles. Like, the rules have changed, so it's so much more prevalent scoring. How do you compare it error versus error? Now, baseball has metrics to help you with that. But it's harder and harder when everybody's putting up good numbers. The gap is not quite as wide. So it's the Hall of Fame is becoming really hard, especially as you get into the, my era, the 90s, and guys post-90s, turn of the century, guys that I grew up watching, and guys that, quite honestly, it's not that I grew up watching, that we watched within the last 10 years, that we've talked about on the program in the last 10 years. You know, to talk about them in, that, in the Hall of Fame in the past tense of their careers is surreal sometimes because it seems like yesterday that Carlos Beltran signed a contract to be like the jewel of the Mets, uh, you know, rebuild, so to speak, Los Mets under Omar Manaya. So... Anyway, we'll talk about that. I'll have some fun guests. I'm thinking of some things. I don't know what kind of guests I'll get, but I'm thinking of something out of the box. I'm trying to get creative. Maybe I got too creative today. Maybe the Trevor Bauer thing is too creative, but I definitely think it's something to think about. You want to go and improve this team opportunistically. There's your guy. Budget-wise, it fits. Upside is there on the field. There is risk in terms of political uh, correctness and political relations, uh, public relations. Definitely that. Definitely a little bit hard for a fan base to embrace, knowing what some of the things that he stands for and what he's about. But I also believe everybody has a right to tell us that they've been rehabilitated and deserve a second chance and why. All I'm saying is let's hear him out. Let's hear him out on that thing. So anyway, uh, that's that. want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you're showing up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Also check me out on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG, a little bit of opinion-based content there. So check it out. And I want to welcome in or thank the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network guys for supporting this podcast and continuing to support this podcast week in week out. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Be back on the Talk Events podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody.
Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.